welcome uh, Ben McLean, music attorney extraordinaire. Um, gee, I wish I had my applause box here. Anyway, uh, give you a little Everybody. quick. A quick bio on Ben. He got his law degree from Pepperdine University School of Law in Malibu, tough place to go to school. Undergrad degree from B, uh, in BS, Bachelor of Science from Kansas State uh, University. Worked in legal and business affairs at Rhino Records and Priority Records and head of business affairs CFO for JWP USA slash BMG Records. He was also a talent scout, which you don't see on a lawyer's resume very often, for Sire Records. Uh, Seymour Stein, the founder of Sire, just passed away like a week or two ago. I was, he was a one-of-a-kind guy. Yeah, um, it, was through, it was through Seymour, actually, that he was like the guy we'd take stuff to, for sure. Yep, he was one-of-a-kind. Oops, let me kill that email so we don't hear dings the whole time we're doing this. All right. Um, and also, um, at that time, there was a guy named Andy Paley, who you might know, who was on the West Coast running Sire. Yeah, never met Andy, but I knew who he was. Um, worked at a management company uh, called Tim Neese Management, where he worked, uh, represented, represented Bruce Hornsby, the Posies, Ricky Lee Jones, Charlie Sexton, uh, The Origin, Leon Russell, Grapes of Wrath, Big Star, Martha Davis, etc. Um, he's licensed to practice in all courts in the state of California and U.S. district courts. He's published over 200 articles on the music business and magazines, books, and blogs. Um, also an expert contributor to Rolling Stone and NPR. Um, in 1995 and 2006, uh, he won the Los Angeles Music Awards Attorney of the Year. That's a big deal. And he's got gold and platinum records for artists that he's worked with, like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, platinum record for the Dixie Chicks, gold for Guns N' Roses, um, platinum for Cher, platinum for the Eagles, platinum for Jay-Z, um, gold for Glee soundtrack and for Cena, Selena Gomez. Just This is literally a very pared down list of people that he's worked with in one capacity, legal capacity or another. Weezer, 50 Cent, Doors, Puff Daddy, No Doubt, Eric Clapton, Rolling Stones, Bonnie Raitt, Cher, Eagles, J-Lo, Fish, Roots, Shaggy, uh vladimir horowitz willie nelson ryan adams ben harper guns and roses jeff beck flaming lips sixpence none the richer black eyed peas dixie chicks bon jovi diane warren faith hill madonna tim mcgraw michael jackson beyonce and literally this was just a tiny little smattering i see curtis blow on there i actually did some records out of tk uh i did an act. I produced an act called Wild Oats of the TK Studios in Hialeah, Florida in the late 70s, if memory serves. And um, who's the guy that did Curtis Blow? He was actually had another real well, life. Well, the, it was uh, Russell Simmons was his original manager. Um, is that who you're thinking about? No. Anyway, it's all off topic anyway. But yeah, Curtis Blow, if I recall, it was um, one of the early digital uh, download companies, kind of like uh, The Orchard when it started was a was a record label, first digital record label. But there was a kind of competitor of them and they were trying to pick up a lot of kind of the old school hip hop. Artist, yeah. like we did, uh, like a digital down one of the early digital download deals for him. I know what if I'm. I thinking. recall it's been a long time. I'm thinking of an artist called Blowfly. Oh yeah, he I, was from Florida. He was out of the TK bunch. With yeah, 
Uh, and I actually uh, worked with Henry Stone, who was Henry the president. Yeah, I saw him on your resume. Anyway, um, so Ben and I were on a phone call yesterday, and I wished I'd recorded that because we're here to discuss AI, but neither of us are expert in AI. Really, practically nobody is an expert in where AI could go, will go. Um, how it will be used. Everything is new, at least to those of us who are not like in that field and have been programming or experimenting or building stuff with AI for years already. But it's really exploded onto the scene in the last 30 days in such a big way that you can't ignore it. And I see all these people online pontificating about, well, it's going to do this or it's going to do that. And who really knows? Um, but I wanted to get Ben's take, and I want to let you guys know this is not legal advice from Ben. This is just two guys in the industry talking about what the possibilities are, how things might pan out or might not pan out. Uh, just trying to open your minds and get you a little more acquainted with AI. Um, yeah, I think the thing that worries every musician out there is, will I be replaced by a robot? Um, so uh, again, these are opinions. None of this is necessarily factual, certainly not legal, <laughs> definitely not legal advice. Um, do you think that at some point that we won't need a bass player, we won't need a songwriter, we won't need a band, we won't need a producer. Uh, do you think all that stuff could be wiped out by AI? This again, yeah, th there's no standards, industry standards on any of these things yet, or, or even laws. There's been a, a few lawsuits filed by major labels and things like that. But of course, nothing's gone to court. And so we don't really know what the rules are all going to be on this or where it's going to go. But I mean, I mean, for me, the reason I got into the business in the first place is to work with artists and and artists obviously have to have a personality and an image and uh, hopefully some kind of uniqueness about them. That's, and that would include, you know, performers, players, musicians also. I'm, uh, so I, I'm hopeful that uh, if you, you, still the bottom line is, is the talent itself is gonna rise above all of that and, and that will always be needed, but there could be some, some more minimal type things that are more like background type things, certainly background instruments and things like that, tambourines, certain percussion sounds that maybe aren't as quite as unique that certainly can be created by, and they have been for years, actually, as we know, you know, by robots or computers and that's been incorporated into the, into the business. But I think the major labels and everybody's more concerned about somebody copying somebody like uh, Taylor Swift or Beyonce, and can they copy somebody like that to the point where nobody can tell the difference? And know? then there's the whole issue of maybe not copying, but creating a new entity, you know, a, a robotic artist, if you will, that is not Taylor Swift, that could be competitive with Taylor Swift in her vein, in her lane. <clears throat> but are there legal issues there are legal issues uh, and i think they're not all that clear yet because it's not actually sampling taylor swift um and right now i'm talking about you know not like creating a song with a, a taylor swift sound alike where you think it's taylor swift but it's a robot i'm talking about a brand new entity where a taylor swift song and maybe 20 other songs or 500 or a thousand have been scraped for data 
and the data has trained the AI. So you could say, you know, open AI, create a, a song for me with an artist that would be in the same category as Taylor Swift, but doesn't sound like her singing it. And it's used little pieces of data sets that it's collected and trained itself with, or somebody has trained it over some period of time. And it's bringing all that stuff that it was trained on to bear. And the output is this song with a new artist. Um, what are the legal issues with the using those data sets from other artists as the training facility, if you will, for the AI to create something new and fresh? Well, I'm, I think the, the main thing labels probably would claim is there's infringement going on if if somebody's trying to scrape or uh or somehow copy or or uh, you know go to try to recreate something and and just say it's inspired by or and this this has been a, an issue that's gone on with infringement in general sometimes you have something that's very close but it's not exactly there and there's that there's that blurred line is of like is this really uh you know, uh, a ripoff, or is it just uh, something that was supposed to sound close and you can't, you know, there's there's a line there that's hard. That's why there's lawsuits all the time. But I, the, the the problem for I, that I see with the, because when you're doing these scrapes, you're basically going into the, the entirety of the internet and drawing from everything that's out there. So, I mean, and if you can prove, I suppose, to go again to defend against an infringement claim that you used lots of other sources and not just taylor swift music well then you know it's it becomes a like a hybrid thing of thousands or millions of different components right that might have been similar but obvious so i think that gets that's a pretty good defense probably because these are the first times i'm thinking about these things versus you just because heck if i if i was trying to compete with i remember uh, many years ago when uh, alanis morissette came out and she was so big. I remember talking to an A&R person at Warner. I can't remember who it was, but they were saying, yeah, we, we've signed seven or eight female artists that kind of sound like her because obviously they wanted to try to like a piggyback on the success of that because there was a sound that was happening. Obviously, the singers and the and the, the, the artists didn't look exactly like and probably didn't sound exactly like, but they were definitely in the same bag. Right. So I don't know if it's if there's that much difference between that, what we're talking about now and just people going into their record collections uh, and trying to find something that sounds close because you know you could you know catch the wave of something that's popular if you're similar to it but, but as long as the um I'm again I'm just thinking out loud here as long as the visual image is different and the vocal isn't exactly the same then, or the lyric you know, content not exactly the well, same well it can't yeah it's not going to be exactly the same and and um but but you have issues with name and likeness too if you're trying to copy somebody's look and and this, even the sound of their voice you kept those are could be violations of trademark um, because you there's some people that actually have trademarks of the they call it a sound trademark like of their guitar tones or their voice it's, it's true for i know bet midler tom waits and i believe zz top uh uh billy gibbons has a trademark on his guitar sound you know i don't mm. know how many people have that but and you don't have to actually register a trademark to have rights same with, with copyright you just have to prove that it's like established and people associate it with you that particular sound so i mean there's all these so there's there's potential infringement issues but also potential name and likeness trademark type issues that everybody's going to have to grapple with but 
I don't I don't know if if this eight made up artist that's made to compete is distinctive enough. I think they're probably going to be able to to get away with it. And obviously, at the end of the day, the audience or the fans have to decide if they like that or not. I know there's already been some artists created by majors that are that are avatar or kind of a computer. They even look like avatars, but then none of them have caught on yet. And I'm assuming the music that was created was probably generated by AI to sound like something that would fit whatever was popular at the time. I don't know. Have you seen some of those articles? No, I, I haven't, but I, I completely believe that you could look at the demographic that a certain real artist appeals to and then sort of deconstruct all the aspects using AI. You know, why does Taylor Swift appeal to um, a, a, a female audience that, you know, like a, a Gen Z female audience, I'm guessing at that. Um, I guess she appeals to a much broader spectrum, but you know what I'm saying? Where they could literally They're going for the core, whatever the core audience. Yeah. Or, or just reverse engineer why an artist is popular. Let the AI do that by grabbing data sets. <clears throat> but that's one artist that is trying to mimic. Let's talk about. Well, but we, but we know that labels uh, have done re have these research yeah. departments where they've done that kind of stuff for years. I mean, to compile information, to try to predict what would work and try to find artists that fit that mold. But obviously it's, it hasn't gone to the extreme it could now where you've got, uh, you know, somebody else that, you know, a machine could create it for you. Right. It, it may do a really good job of reverse engineering what makes Taylor Swift appeal to her audience and then create something totally new. A new artist doesn't look like her doesn't sound like her voice uh, is just creating music based on what appeals to her demographic. That feels like it would be kosher. It'd be no different than But I think that's what people have always tried to do on a gut, a gut level, you know, yeah. just what they've known from their brains and their own research they could do. Of course, with the internet and Google and things like that, there's ways to do not as much as AI can do it, because as I mentioned, they could go back to the beginning of history all over the world through the internet. No, we can't, a person can't do that, but some people are pretty sharp as far as studying things for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, let's talk about songs in particular, and then eventually I want to move on to instrumental music, specifically production music that's used like television shows, largely um, reality-based shows. But so for songs, you're absolutely right in saying that, look, e even the Beatles, everybody draws on their own personal AI, whatever their life, their musical life experiences have been, who they're attracted to, who they listen to. Oh, I love that guitar sound that that artist gets. It's going to have an influence on you. It would be impossible for a new artist to either consciously or subconsciously not draw on influences that who have influenced them for decades so and, and before i forget and, and sorry to sound like so i just love the history of the music business but i i remember in the in the on the oldie stations you'll still hear like a like a bobby v song or a, or a, or a, a sheila by um, um tommy rowe by Tommy Rowe. Those those were total the, at the time when they first came out, they sounded like Buddy Holly. They even sounded, I thought it was Buddy Holly. Their yeah. vocals and everything, the producers made them sound like Buddy Holly and the instrument, the, the percussion beat, everything was 
total ripoff of Buddy Holly. Now, I don't remember if anybody raised hell about that back then, but it's, you know, there weren't that many music. It's a little more crude, crude, but I mean, these kind of things have been going on a long time, you know? I mean, just the concept of, hey, that worked, let's copy it. But peep, there weren't as many attorneys. Maybe the laws weren't so sophisticated yet or precedents weren't set with certain cases. So maybe um, what wasn't an issue in 1960 is very much an issue in 2023. I don't know. I'm definitely not a lawyer, much to my parents' chagrin. Well, the biggest problem that, that because I've been trying to read some articles about AI and what, I guess one of the things that's kind of a side issue, but it's really important is it's, it allows, there's an unlimited, you know, you push a button, there's an unlimited amount of music that could be released, just like we talked about, I think we talked about the other day, maybe not about, I think there's 60,000 or something uploads every day, mm -hmm. Spotify, just music out of, whether it's major labels or independent or people's out of people's bedrooms, with it, with AI generated music, it could, there's no limit on that. It could be millions of songs a day could go up online. How And then if that goes on Spotify and places like that, it really dilutes the playing field and it makes it really hard to discover anybody if you're not famous already. So that that's also a side issue, but it's more of just like, you know, like sand on the beach. Like, how do you get discovered now? Well, I mean, that certainly exists now without even AI generating unlimited numbers. It's really, really hard. And, and you know, musicians and i understand why they think this way tend to think the harder i work at writing a great song the better my chances are which certainly has an impact there's no doubt that the quality of the music the catchiness of a song has an impact on your possibilities of being discovered by a, an audience out there but there's so much great music that we've all heard on spotify that we where we've never heard of the artists and they'll never blow up and be big and that's right now. I think the day may come where we're sitting and we're in our car and rather than tuning into a radio station or XM or Spotify, that we'll just simply say, car, uh, create some songs that sound like they would appeal to Taylor Swift's fan base. And, and every song you hear is created uniquely in that moment for you and is not even up on Spotify or anywhere where anybody could download oh, you're, it. You're saying you could, you're saying you could actually create it verbally by yourself on the fly? Is that what you said? What you oh, mean? yeah. Okay. I, I really believe that that's going to be the case. Um, I believe that the day will come where either through uh, you're a video editor, you're working on a reality show. Uh, the example I use, the one I always use, my uh, viewers are going to laugh at this, but I always use Kim Kardashian trying to unscrew the cap off a gallon jug of milk, something she probably doesn't have to do all that often. And uh, she's afraid she's going to break a nail or mess up her nail polish. And so the video editor laying in the music on that show would probably search for a quirky dramedy track. So now the video editor could just say, uh, computer or AI or whatever, uh, find me a track that's appropriate for the scene. And the AI will already know that the scene is comedic based on the dialogue or the action in the scene. And over time, it will have trained itself to select music that's appropriate for that rather than the human editor going down a list of possibilities, looking at titles and auditioning. Oh, that title looks like it might indicate this is a quirky, funny piece. Play. Nope not the right tempo.
play the next one because the title grabbed you uh, close, but it didn't get big enough at the end and so on. Whereas AI, you could just merely talk into your microphone in your edit bay uh, and tell your computer to go find it because there are AI recommendation engines out there already that compare music to references rather than creating it. So I believe all these things are possibilities. I don't want to say that I firmly believe they will happen exactly as I predict or talk about today. But what about that eventuality that's a possibility that every piece of music could be a unique piece of music created in that moment for you based on your prompt, but yet it used data sets of music that has been scraped from decades past, maybe a thousand or a million or some unimaginable number of pieces of music who will own that music? Who owns the copyright on the composition? Is there a master if it's created as a one-off on the fly and not stored anywhere or replicated anywhere? So do master rights go out the window? There are all these issues that are well, mind from what I understand, cur currently, if if music is created by a machine, it's not the copyright office doesn't recognize it as a as a legitimate copyright so i don't think there's a, even a common law or, so because of that i that's the thing i don't i mean i guess it's still something you could somebody could say they own and it could be monetized but i but i don't think anybody's the government currently isn't going to recognize it as a copyright for like a an infringement because one of the main reasons you'd, you'd file for a copyright is so if somebody ripped you off you could sue them and get damages and things like that if it's not copyrightable you probably couldn't go into court and sue somebody over it, but there's probably could still be contracts between parties. If you had something unique enough, somebody could license it or buy it or whatever. I mean, just like currently, that's how the business works. Music's either licensed or purchased um, between parties or users, you know? So let's brainstorm that whole scenario a bit more. You're in your car, you're commuting home from your office, stuck on the 101, we've all been there. And uh, you tell your AI radio or music thing in your car, um, play me, create some music that sounds like it would appeal to Steely Dan fans. And all of a sudden this music comes out and you find it very appealing. Does it sound like Steely Dan? No. But if you're somebody who loves that band, has gone to their shows and listens to their music decades after it was made, this music is equally as appealing almost magically, but it's created in the moment from data sets uniquely for you. You could say, save that to my playlist. And now you've created a piece of music that is on your playlist. Hypothetically, you could then license it because you. Yeah, well, that could, that, that could be, of course, most people, most consumers, somebody's in a car they're they have a different gig you know they're not right. thinking about how can i monetize this piece of music like music business exec people like us would you know so i which is probably a very small segment of the population um um it was something you said had triggered something but now i've forgotten maybe it'll come back you maybe sound like my wife again. now i say stuff that <laughs> triggers her all the time <laughs> well when yeah. it pops up just wave your hand and i'll stop wherever i'm at so we can get that thought in there but I, I think that that's oh, a oh well well but but still I guess it goes back and and it could be just because of growing up this is how it was but 
you know, you know, when I was a kid, the reason I got hooked on music was I would usually hear something that I liked on the radio in those days, but then I would want to go buy the record. And, and then if I saw some artists that I really liked visually, or there was something about their personality or character, then I'd want to buy more music from them and go see them and buy their merchandise and things like that. Versus I don't know how much of that goes on today, you know, because we used to be able to look at albums and open up things and, and read all kinds of cool things, see lots of images, which a lot of the younger ge generation probably doesn't. It's just oh, they're, they're it's probably just looking on TikTok or something. And, you know, and, and, and there could similar. be and there could be the visual, the video aspect. Yeah, either on YouTube or TikTok, which is not like a traditional type of MTV video. A lot of times it's just some some visual. But I don't I don't know if. So that that's the part of, because I still think that on the you know the one of the saviors would be if the artist if there's a unique some uniqueness to the artist not just some sound that that like fits a you know fits a box checks a box but usually most artists or songwriters or producers if they're successful there's more to the package than that you know but and and that's the you know so obviously not everybody makes it in the music business usually the most of the time you have to be extremely talented and, and driven some people get lucky for other reasons but but i yeah but i i just don't know how much of this other stuff is going to just make it harder to get discovered perhaps and um let's talk about something that happened a couple of weeks ago which was um a well-known stock music library that i won't mention by name um i probably don't know all the facts i hate talking about stuff where I don't know all the facts, but as I understand it, um, many musicians in, in probably what was a quarterly statement about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, saw stuff where it, it, they were being paid for their music being used to form a data set. So let's say uh, I am a production music composer. I do instrumental tracks. And I've taken my stuff that I couldn't get into maybe the higher level, higher quality libraries and put it into the stock music library, which is not unlike a stock photo library where people can go on and search and say, yes, I'll pay $5 for that or $50 or whatever, depending on the use. That library company made the decision to take their entire catalog, presumably, and make it available to some other entity to scrape every piece of music in that large catalog that I believe is probably in the 150 to 200,000 ish range of pieces of music. And they didn't get, they didn't let anybody know before it happened. They probably did have legal permission baked into their original contract probably where it did. said, you know, we can use it for virtually anything. So nobody could sue them or, or do a class action because without reading the stuff carefully, they signed an agreement that gave this company, you know, permission to do this in the known universe or something like that. So now everybody's upset. I feel like I've been taken advantage of. My music was scraped. A data set was built from my music um, so that their AI could create my replacement in the future. And of course, we don't know yet if that would be the ultimate uh, consequence. Right. I think it could be, right? Yeah. Yeah, all this is conjecture because we don't know anything. I mean, Napster was more clear than this is. And Napster was probably the last big upset in the music industry traditional model. Right. Um, so 
you and I had a really interesting discussion on the phone yesterday, which is, okay, so let's say that this new piece of background music, production music is created, and it is a compilation of data to varying degrees and percentages from 513 different pieces of music that it looked at. And it took just a little bit from this and a little bit from that. And by the way, it didn't sample the tambourine. It just looked at it's a, you know, a mid rangey tambourine with like, sounds like it's got 12 jingles and a wood rim. It's this kind of tambourine. So it looked at the data of the, the waveform, but it didn't sample it. It just recreated it based on that data. So our discussion yesterday was if a piece of music is comprised of 513 pieces of data, but one piece was one one thousandth of a percent of the data that was ultimately used. Another one was 2%, another one was 14%, another one was 73%. Is it possible that someday that's how people will get paid, that original human creators will create the content that becomes the stuff that creates data sets by being scraped and that there will be some AI driven device uh, or algorithm that looks at this stuff and says, well, Ben McLean's tambourine was a tiny little percentage of this and Michael Lasko's bass tone and the way he attacks his instrument was a tiny little percent. And you and I would get paid based on what percentage of the overall yeah. AI we were. Well. I think we were just saying that maybe that's a, a potential, not a solution for all the issues, but maybe a way for people to make money. Of course, these I'd call these micro transactions, or you know, or I'm not sure if that's the exact language, but it'd be micro. Right? Yeah. But when you think about it over time, it could be, it could be that if a lot of things were were even if it's a tiny, tiny fraction of one one hundredth, one one thousandth, which is fractions of pennies. I mean, you know, maybe if a lot of this stuff goes on, it does add up, but gosh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, and, and we don't know if it's going to affect the original version anyway. You know, if that means that people don't want to license the original version that it was, it, that was scraped, you know? So yeah, that, that's the problem with all this is we don't really know where it's all headed, but, um, but I, but I, I think that the, the production library might've, might be shooting themselves in the foot because you know, they're giving up potential like standard licensing fees for all for just selling their catalog and getting maybe some upfront blanket fee and then never anything else. I don't even know how, what kind of deal they right. Did. They're creating their own killer. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And and obviously it's not good for the, the creators either. And but but usually, yeah, most of those you've seen the sync the sync representation deals too, unless you specifically built excuse me specifically building exclusions or restrictions. It's usually pretty broad what they can do or some kind of approval rights. And and of course, a lot of people never even would have thought of this two three years ago when they did the deal. And maybe the language was just vague vague enough that that it would allow for it or or maybe not. And by the way, there probably could be some class actions if enough people are damaged by this. Some lawyer is going to say, well, that was outside the scope of the intent of the agreement when they did it. All these people did it. So there could be some class actions going on just to see what happens, you know? Right. I, I mean, I could see some lawyers thinking there's enough there. But again, I don't know what's going to happen and who you're suing. And uh, are you just trying to make a point? Are you trying to make money? Because most of these 
most of these sync licensing companies, if they got sued in a class action, would probably go out of business. Right. Unless it was like Sony or somebody. Yeah. And from a legal perspective, uh, and you could certainly address this better than I, um, the standards, the, the legal precedents aren't set and the statutes aren't written yet. And my observation is the wheels of legislation turn very, very slowly, yet AI is moving at a speed that's breathtaking. I mean, literally, you know, in the last 30 days, I subscribe to a newsletter of all kinds of new AI stuff. And every single day, I get at least five new AI apps that I could be using to create video, to write papers, to create music, whatever you can think of. AI is doing it. Somebody said the other day, well, it won't be used to dig ditches. And I, I would disagree with that. Absolutely going to be used to use ditches. The AI is going to control the ditch digger and you'll program in, I need a ditch dug from here to there and it will keep itself on the straight and narrow and know how deep of a ditch it's digging. So you won't need a guy to drive the ditch witch machine anymore. Well, well yeah, that, it crosses it crosses, of course, into other areas like you know art and and film and TV and all that script writing and but but even I just heard the other day on the radio. I haven't seen it with my. I was just in Las Vegas, but I didn't see it. But apparently, there's three McDonald's now in the U.S. that are totally robotic. They don't have one human being in there for to take the orders to make the food. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I saw a coffee place. Uh, I went through San Francisco Airport SFO probably last November, December. And, and I think there was a strike going on of the people who were the servers and all the restaurants and bars and coffee shops at that airport, maybe citywide, I don't know. So you, it was really hard to get a cup of coffee in that airport at that time, even like at the you know American Airlines lounge or wherever, because nobody could serve it. There was a robotic coffee kiosk, literally with an arm that's like, you know, it didn't look like a person. It looked like something that would spray a, a body panel in an auto paint shop. And it was making coffee and the coffee was pretty darn good. And the thing was pretty darn fast. And it was just only marginally more expensive than if you bought a coffee at, at a Starbucks. What about that? What about the time, the timing? Uh, was it quick, quicker um, as far as? Uh, equally as fast, if not a little faster. I mean, there was only one robot, but if you had four of them behind one counter, uh, you know, the line was pretty long, but that's because you couldn't get coffee served by a human anywhere else in the airport. So, But that goes back, I think, to how complicated something is. Something like making coffee. I, I, by the way, I, I saw a kiosk like that about five years ago in San Francisco, right on Market Street. They had one. Um, it was like just a pop-up kind of thing. So that's yeah. a bit of a problem. But, but then, then it's something like, if you, you know, some like, Flambe or some like fancy steak or whatever. I don't know, you know, like what like a show, like Gordon Ramsay would make. Like, what can those things be recreated with robots? Maybe. I don't know. That's probably way down the line, but I don't know. They're but doing is, surgery with robots. If they can open up a human being's brain, I'm sure they can flambe Maybe. something. Yeah, 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 I guess. I guess I don't but and that's you know, so and we don't want to be doom and gloom people, but my 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 old my biggest concern was just like, well, gosh, if a computer does everything for everybody, then nobody would have any any job or gainful employment. That doesn't seem possible, you know. I know. So, so it's probably movie? like it's probably like Napster, how eventually the music business caught up to the internet and downloading and found a way to try to 
harness it, rein it in or partner with it. So, and that's where streaming came from. And that's obviously benefited the major labels because they have millions of tracks that constantly are earning, you know, that's hard to break out, you know, if you're new, but, but I'm, I, I'm sure there's going to be a way to harness this and people are going to find a way to do it where it's equally beneficial. Hopefully I, I did see some interesting things. Um, I see Grime. I don't know if you saw that, but Grimes already yeah. has said, Hey, you know, you can use my vocal in any kind of, you could recreate, do whatever you want in AI and add lyrics, whatever. But as long as you use my vocal, it will just split the money that you make if you make anything. So, um, so she's already saying, go ahead and use it in, in any kind of AI fashion, if, as long as you, I'm giving you permission. So there's sort of a license, license there. Um, the other interesting thing I saw was um, AI can, and I just go to going through this now with a client who's making some music for an Indian film, but he's going to sing it in English, but then they want to have like a Hindi version in, in India. But, you know, now I guess you could have AI just make uh, the Hindi version. You don't have to actually have a, a human do the, um, I guess the phonetic re-record re <laughs> same thing would be true for doing foreign language versions of films and tv shows absolutely yeah the dubs uh, and things yeah yeah wow yeah so i don't i don't i don't but but still the original the original version it's still it still thinks of the source of that i'm i'm it's still hopefully there's still some value in that and people's will still be you know somebody will still think they have value I don't I don't know I'd be but anyway so I can't say any more than that because I I certainly don't want to be negative about it because we all work in the business so we got to find there has to be positives to it so we can all keep going here and, and on the legal end of things and again I know this will be strictly conjecture because there's nothing to really base a, you know it's just an opinion based on maybe history but because legislation generally is, lags way behind um, innovation and technology, do you think that we'll have a period of the Wild West over the next two years, three years, five years, whatever that time period is till legislation can catch up? And let's say it's five years, five years from now, there everything is codified, a um, bunch of statutes that allegedly make it crystal clear and we know what all the legal ramifications are of everything we've spoken about so far will it be retroactive so people who are participated in the wild west in one form or fashion using ai to create music or data sets that came from i don't know eric clapton whatever um will those statutes do you think act retroactively so everybody who created music in the wild west period of ai music creativity or or visual arts or whatever will the statutes allow people to go back and say okay all that has to come off the radio or spotify or needs to be destroyed because it was created illegally but it wasn't created illegally because the statutes didn't exist yeah, at right. the time yeah well i mean that obviously that would be either built into the statute or 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 not so we don't and the the reason it takes so long for and because i don't you know i'm i'm not involved in legislation or anything like that but when i follow these things why they take so long obviously there's always two sides there's always two sides because um in this case, though, it would seem like um, the creator side and the labels and the major companies are are you know have a lot more clout than whoever's on the other side arguing for the AI. But maybe those are all the tech 
companies uh, that are like making this software, these apps they're sending to you. I'm, I'm just even wondering how, how are those companies making money? I mean, you can come up with some software and then you let people license it or give it to them for free and then everybody uses it for free. I mean, how are, I don't know. I, it, yeah, because, it could be that. Uh, but there's always, or, there's, usually, there's usually a lot of battling with all these legislators, you know, all these politicos and everybody's arguing their side before they finally get in front of the, the legislature. But, and I, I, if something's really going to damage the public interest enough, I believe the, um, the legislature would move quicker, probably some kinds of emergency type things, but, but when they, when they cobble these things together fast, who knows if they're really, you know, going to be sewing it up properly. But, and in the meantime, the court systems, because I know the, the major labels have already sued to have like that weekend track taken down and, and, and sued some of these AI companies saying you're copying our artists, you know, it's infringement, but, but none of those cases have gone, gone to trial or anything. So I wouldn't want to be the judge or the jury when they do. Um, <laughs> and how might this affect PROs? Um, how might this affect um, Harry Fox? You know, I mean, we can only, guess at this point because tomorrow somebody ai itself could come up with a brilliant way to use ai to be a purveyor of music that eliminates the need for a record company a distributor um, an online distributor a radio station a sirius xm a spotify all those things could be wiped out if we go to that model which i came up with on the fly, I'm sure I heard it somewhere, uh, where you're sitting in your car and you say, make me some music that would appeal to a fan of Steely Dan. And it doesn't actually necessarily even sample data sets, or I should take the word sample, doesn't even use data sets from Steely Dan, or maybe they're one of 5,000 artists that it comes from, because they certainly had influences. Um, so well, if that's but, the but, case, but, but, maybe but the weird thing fine. about it to me, it's, it's like, yeah. You want to copy Steely Dan or Taylor Swift or Beyonce or whoever it is, but those artists originally had to become famous because they had fans that loved them and adored them and wanted to. So, I mean, if you're just creating fake music that has no face to it, I, I just don't see how far. I don't. Where are the new artists going? I still think everybody would. Most people, young people, would want to discover some new artist they could have some real connection to. Or maybe they I think I'm even too idealistic about it because obviously if you're just somebody that wants to use some sync production music with a certain sound in the background of a scene as cheaply as possible, yeah. But that's not that doesn't represent the the majority of music fans, I don't think. Well, maybe the fans would get a big kick out of I created this. It's it's my creation based on the prompt that I gave. The microphone in my car while I was stuck on the 101 and you hear it and you go um AI yes I like that but try it with a female vocal try it with a female vocal with a little country twang and, and you keep adjusting it till you come up with something that goes I'm in love with this thing I just created uh AI share it with all of my friends and maybe each individual is their new own personal record label it, it, could, it could be it could be well if and it, and it goes back to what we talked about if there's some way that you could tag and and have a a, a, a digital fingerprint or whatever it is where you're if there's a, any piece of some original copyright writable material that's in there that at least the creators will get paid in all these other versions because that's the good thing about um, 
you know, user generated content on, on the internet, you know, with the, with YouTube and people getting ad revenue, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you, you make one video if you're an artist and maybe it's not that maybe it gets a million views, but because of that, then you've got, you know, 50 million user generated videos that also use your music and that there's advertising around that. And then you get a, you get a percentage of all the other videos that weren't even created by you. So there's actually a benefit to that. Sometimes if there's a way to tag it back to the original version. So, so there must going to, there's going to have to be some way that, and I'm sure there it's easily going to be created to, to do that. But, you know, but we just haven't heard anything about these things yet because it's so I'm new. Sure, somebody it, in Silicon Valley or a fourteen. Well, somebody's doing it because I'm sure that I'm sure the major labels are already talking and behind the scenes. Like, well, yeah, we could sue everybody, but we're going to have to have some other way, uh, some plan B here, just in case. You know. Yeah, they can't repeat their uh, approach to the Napster situation when it popped up, which was try to sue them into oblivion technology marched forward with them or without them, even though they controlled the artists that Napster was giving away. Um, let's move to another subject and that, thank you for that conversation. I, 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 many of us are thinking about this stuff and hopefully we'll all still be alive to watch wherever it goes. And hopefully there's a place in there for original music creators to be part of the new, landscape out there. Let's talk about the old landscape uh, before we wrap this up, which is um, buying loops and using many of the production music libraries that are taxis clients and end up signing taxi composers um, to one degree or another will say, I don't want anything with loops. And some of the composers or creators would say, yeah, but I bought a license to this thing from the company and it gave me carte blanche. I can use it any way I want, but yet libraries don't want to get involved. And I'm not clear because there's so many opinions as to why libraries don't want it. Most of them just like, I know it's trouble. Just don't put any loops in your stuff. Why is it trouble? I don't know. I just know it's trouble because other libraries are doing it. Uh, and, And I've heard the advice that if you use a sample, even though you're using it legally and you can do anything you want with it, make sure that it doesn't appear in the clear, like in a bridge or a a musical breakdown where all of a sudden your original content created around it and woven into it, make it unique. Now, all of a sudden you're using that Apple loop that you have every right to use, but for just one bar, four beats, that kick drum is in the clear. That's not yours to monetize because it came from Apple. I, I understand this stuff, but I don't have a deep understanding. Can you elucidate um, some of the key points maybe and help me and maybe some of our other viewers that don't? Well, I haven't, um, yeah, I guess I haven't encountered, uh, I'm, obviously if you're, if you're using like a really recognizable or what seems to be a recognizable like vocal a featured vocal or some featured type of guitar lick or some kind of you know drum percussion you know that's like a sound that's fairly well known or you think it is um as as opposed to just like um what i call de minimis sometimes just like doesn't really matter yeah it's just it's very short it's background it's shaking of a tambourine it's a snare sound or whatever it's those kind of things, nobody's ever going to, I mean, 
and it, they've been recreated through every every track of all times got something like that in it so i don't it's like really hard to say you're ripping somebody off or there's going to be an infringement there so i to me it seems like maybe the, some of these music supervisors might be like being overly cautious or paranoid and and you know for if for because most in my experience most of these loops are things like you know percussion sounds keyboard sounds but they're very generic kind of sounding things so i don't know i didn't know i, I haven't really encountered maybe because you work more actually in the sync world maybe right. than I, do. I mean i do um i do a lot of contracts for people when they're getting their music licensed but and usually there's stuff in there saying hey you have to warrant represent that you didn't you know infringe anybody uh you didn't have you have no and and or it will say any samples have to be cleared and that goes back to what people are saying well yeah i got this loop pack and it said everything in here is cleared and i can use it any way i want and i and you don't have to pay me anymore and uh or credit me or give me and so i don't and, and there's probably a lot of music out there that we're hearing on tv and film that have those things in there and nobody's nobody there's no issue there's no issue so i'm not, i'm not but but are you are you saying that a lot of people are getting their music rejected because they've used it or is this a few isolated no it, it's somewhat common somewhat common but uh, what are but there must be are are the music supervisors or the or the user end users are they are they just are they giving a rationale for it it's like the library well, we it's think, more we the think music, we're going to get sued for that yeah it's more the production music libraries that are just being super careful because uh, there's if you open the door a little bit to those types of uses folklore the game of telephone um uh, incorrect representation from one musician to another opinions all those things contribute to well i thought you could use it like this yeah. no you can't you didn't read the fine print if you would have it was laid out legally so now the libraries are worried that those bastardized opinions that are like a game of telephone that change from one generation to the next to the next will cause even though they could make a carve out and say well it's okay if you do it like this or if you use something like that or your contract with that company that you got it from stated this most people aren't going to check the terms and conditions the vast majority are not and so the libraries are being wisely cautious and making sure to just blanketly say no loops that way i don't have to worry about it because some people say but i thought this loop was kosher when it really wasn't because okay. they... well, and then and it and that's that's commerce and if that's the, those that's the game you just have to take your loops out or make them yourself but i probably a lot of people slip those loops in and never never tell anybody or never even think and and or, or just represent it's cool and nobody ever challenges them on it because ultimately there's really no claim who's going to make the claim because whoever gave them the loop pack said you could use it <laughs> you know yeah the problem the problem i see it's more in the pop music world so because people go get these beats online and and that maybe the beat maker licensed the beat to 30 different people and so it's in 30 different songs that potentially could get on the billboard charts or get picked up by a major label and then all of a sudden when the major label puts it out they find out there's another competing track out there that has that same recognizable beat or the hook and then they've got a competing version and that and that, that kind of defeats the whole purpose they thought they had something original so what i found more about is when you're you know when because we do a lot of you know sample licenses and beat licenses deals because i work with a lot of producers that are just beat makers basically 
and they and and people find their beats at the beat site so you have to warrant and represent yes i've i've already licensed this beat to three or four different people here's who they are or no this beat's never been licensed it's original you can have an exclusive on it i'll never license it to anybody else again or hey i'm going to license this to other people this is a non-exclusive use you know you just have to know that going in so i don't and, and so i but i definitely have seen some labels have issues where all of a sudden they've got, they didn't know that they licensed a beat that was already out there because somebody wasn't transparent about it, you know? Yeah, I, I could see the potential where, so, where a major artist goes to one of the loop libraries, um, of which there are many, and there's some that are very well-known and well thought of, and uh, I'm sure that tens of thousands of people a month go there and license stuff and on an exclusive and a major artist somebody who's producing a major artist the producer licenses the beat puts it in the track they've got an exclusive and then the beat maker says oh this one's popular i've had a lot of people inquire about it and look at that jay-z licensed it for his next record i'm gonna take the kick the snare and the hi-hat and the tambourine from that loop and now i'm gonna add a cowbell and i'm gonna change the hi-hat figure a little bit is there any sort of barometer as to how different a, a loop a beat loop has to be so that it no longer infringes on that original i don't I, it, there's no black and white but i think it's just more of a case-by-case -case thing and you if, if you're if you're changing the loop and trying to uh you know muddy it up or uh or mash it up you just have to do it enough to where it's not it's just different enough or or even transformed or whatever they call it mm -hmm. and you know like that's like almost like a fair use type of uh defense if you can transform something enough then it's not the original anymore um but i don't know i've been that's why there's lawsuits of course but i i, I haven't really seen that many in the i haven't seen that many about like in the in the production music world, yeah, maybe it's just too low level. I've only seen these lawsuits where it's a big song. Yeah, well, of course, in production music world, you know, you could have thirteen seconds of an instrumental track play in a reality show, and it might only generate. It's not going to generate a sync fee up front, generally speaking, and it might only generate two dollars and seventy one cents over the course of its first year out there in the wild. So there's, I, I couldn't even pick up the phone and say, hi, Ben, for $2.71. There's no point in bringing a suit. But you, you said something very key, which is um, mashing it up. I forget the terminology used, but yeah, changing it enough. Um, and, and that's what some libraries will say, is if you're going to use loops, they have to be um, substantially modified so that they're unrecognizable from the original. And some people I've heard discussed it say you could change the speed, you could change the pitch, you could change both of those things. You can add other instruments on top of it. Um, you could get the MIDI file, uh, you know, and, and take some of the beats out of it. That's what I was wondering from a legal standpoint. Is, is there any sort of precedent precedent as to how substantially something has to change so that they don't have to be worried. And you're right, it's going to be a very different lawsuit if it's a, a Jay-Z record versus something where Kim Kardashian is trying to get the cap off the milk container in a reality show. But but what I don't understand is if if somebody you know licenses or buys a loop that has unrestricted use 
and it's and it's sample free or whatever and it's there's no clearance issues who that that party that that licensed the loop in the first place would have the claim against the the film company or the tv company that put out the end product that it contained it because somebody incorporated it so if they don't care why does why does the music supervisor care because there's really i don't know who's making the claim it's not like they ripped off it know, might be the red sharon or something those people yeah <laughs> that was good timing on that one ben uh <laughs> <laughs> well, it just comes to mind because Sharon just went through this thing. But but if it's just like some generic sound effect, I don't. And it was licensed properly, and and you can show, hey, I've got proof that the source of it said you could use it any way you wanted, no restrictions. I don't understand what the who's making the claim. The person who created the original and licensed it to the the end user could make a claim, in my opinion, although. I didn't go to law school, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn once. Um, they could make a claim if the thing they created is played in its original form in the clear. Now it's their music they created that is the thing that the public is hearing. Uh, but you're right. They, they created a broad, universal, like you can use this thing for anything licensed. So you're right. That would seem like it would stop the claim dead in its tracks, right? Well, that's what I would argue, I suppose, but but I don't know. I don't know. I, but I've, that's why I'm thinking maybe these music supervisors are being a little overcautious. But hey, it's actually it's, it's the libraries more the libraries, so yeah, the li yeah. or the libraries themselves. But um, but in, but in reality, in reality, I'm just wondering how honest and transparent people are. With, like, you know, when they sign these deals, they're probably like, well, whatever, whatever, you know, because I, I, I always focus more on like the featured sounds the vocals mm -hmm. and, the, and the and the bridge the, the hooks and the you know the the, har the harmonies all these kind of things not so much just these percussive sounds and and a, and a little bass pluck or something on a string right. i don't know but maybe but that's just me you know i just didn't know how deep these people go on analyzing things like that everybody's worried about a lawsuit and uh, you know it, it's just easier to say, you know, I'm going to pass on that instrumental cue than take any chance on getting sued someday. And and frankly, as you well know, uh, the deeper the pockets of the players in the chain of events are. So ultimately, if it's, you know, on a major cable net or a major broadcast net, um, somebody might sue saying, hey, my beat was in the clear for four measures in the middle of that breakdown. That's my music out there. You didn't take it at anything. And maybe there was fine print in their broad license that said you can use this in any way you want as long as you are not putting it out there. Yeah, yeah the that's right. And that, and that's why you have to look carefully at, um, you know, how, is it really a blanket type situation? Are there some strings attached in the fine print? Because most people don't read that. But when I've gone on behalf of clients and looked at some of the these beat um, or these sample pack you know, whatever's thrown into the someone these days, is, there's no package in there. But you know how it used to be you'd buy something, there was like a little sheet of directions or instructions <laughs> or something in a little pamphlet. But now it would just be something you would click terms and conditions or something. Most nine times out of 10 people don't read that stuff. But even when you do, it's sometimes whoever wrote them, I found it's, it's like gobbledygook sometimes. It's not clear. It isn't. Well, uh, and a lot of people don't want to pay Ben McLean whatever your hourly rate is 
um, and have you create something for them because they'll just Frankenstein it from contracts they've received in the past and use a clause from this one and a clause from that one. I'm sure that you, I hope you agree with me on this, that a lot of times those clauses will contradict each other because they don't know what the hell they're copying. Well, yeah, they, that's what I'm saying. Even a lot of these terms and conditions that were created by, I assume by lawyers or smart people, it's, I found they're very contradictory or, or, or somebody could, on both sides could say, hey, I have broad rights or no, there's some restrictions there. See, um, but it's the interpretation of it. <laughs> So I don't know, but I, I haven't, I guess I haven't had that many difficulties seeing lawsuits involving production music. So, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not a litigator, just so you know, I mean, I'm more of what you call a transactional lawyer and I deal with contracts and obviously I try to follow famous lawsuits and things like that. So we can avoid pitfalls in contracts, but, but I don't really follow all the day-to-day, -day, you know, what's the, this, what's out there and people suing each other until you hear about it like a billboard or something. Well, this has been great. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, and I'm sure our members will appreciate it as well. well. Actually, it's not just our members. The public will get to see this on YouTube as well. And I'd like to ask the people viewing this to drop your comments in the comment section below. And if Ben is uh, amenable to this, um, I will assemble those comments into a follow-up show that we'll do live some live q a maybe at some point later this summer or, or maybe even at the road rally um but i still doing that in november that hasn't changed the time right yeah first uh, this year is november 2nd through the 5th um but this this is gonna get people closer to the legal world of the music industry than they've been in a very long time i have a feeling because it is something that even though we've all known it was coming it's always been like in the background you know but now all of a sudden it's like knocking on the front door and can't be ignored anymore but, but I, I i encountered this maybe about two years ago and maybe everybody else did too like when the nft thing hit yeah overnight that's all anybody was talking about for a couple months and and then it just sort of died down a little bit or just sort of become you know and that, that's not over that that story's not over and but it just sort of died down a little bit or somehow it got incorporated into the fabric of how we do things. So maybe this will be the same way, but, but certainly six months from now, we'll know a lot more, I would assume than we do. We do now. I don't even six days more confused by then. Um, but I, but yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure everybody knew, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm just a lot of things I'm saying here. I'm sure Michael too, we're just using logic and, and common sense based on what, we know as opposed to what it maybe is really going to happen yeah who knows it's impossible to predict at this point all we can do is conjecture um and and, and guess and but that's good we we want to get everybody thinking about it so that maybe people are not caught by surprise someday or maybe somebody watching this little segment will come up with some brilliant piece of software that will be world-changing for the entire music industry or maybe a lawyer that's a litigator will watch this and go, you know, I never thought about that and find a way to bring a class action suit against all the companies that might be scraping data when they shouldn't be or something. Um, ben, what's your website for your law firm? Uh, it's just my name.com, Ben McLean, B-E-N-M-C-L-A-N-E.com. And, and if it's okay, I think you said a couple of years ago, I did write a book. Oh, yes. Music Business in 10 
easy lessons, which you can get it on Amazon, either as a paperback or a, or a download. So um, looks, and I got a little flyer here if anybody's interested. Um, so I always like to plug that, but so it's, but it was written more for uh, entry level people, I've, kind of the things over the years I've always found that come up over and over and over again. So I just made a book about the most, the 10 most popular things that I thought, you know, you should want to know about if you're just getting into the business. Um, if you want to send me a couple, I'd be happy to use them as giveaways during my live shows on YouTube. And uh, I will add it to our recommended reading list on our website, which um, frankly, I've always wondered if, if people actually went there or not and looked at because nobody reads anymore. It's like everybody watches YouTube videos or TikTok. And surprisingly enough, we got some complaints recently from people saying, do you know some of the books on your list are out of print? So we went in and uh, edited the list. I don't know if it's been updated on the site yet, but uh, I will add your book to the site. Well, well, like these kind of books, these self-published books on on Amazon, you know, they're just there on demand. So it's right. like, really ever go out of print. But I suppose, yeah, maybe some, I don't know, even like, like Pas I wonder how Passman does it now. I guess he still just makes hard copies of his, because his was like the first Not one. It probably does print on demand now. Most, uh, I remember I, I published Robin Frederick's songwriting books and the first one that I published, I had to buy a couple pallets of those books and, and send them to Amazon warehouses. And if I remember correctly, it was like $30,000, $35,000 to print a couple pallets of books. It was a lot. Uh, and now it's all print on demand. Um, yeah, so that's that's good for, I mean, obviously anybody can write a book now, so... Yeah, uh, but I guess, but yeah, but Lord's Lord, like, hey, could Chat GPT, you know, write this same book? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, so that's again that now we're talking about competing with authors and all kinds of other things too. You know, so that's like yeah. a can of worms. <laughs> I, I use Chat GPT to um, come up with some titles for production library music because titles are very important in what the editors pick when they're in a hurry and looking for that piece of music when Kim can't get the cap off the milk container. The thing that, you know, the title that tells you what the music is probably gonna sound like is a great title. And I was having a hard time finding examples of great titles in many of the libraries I was looking at, big libraries. And so just for kicks, I asked ChatGPT to create some for me. And after I figured out how to prompt it better, it was creating like B plus to A minus titles in 10 seconds so and you were just typing in a description of kind of what you what yeah you, I, I would you know. literally type in create titles for dramedy music uh instrumental dramedy music for reality television but how specific but that's as specific as you got and you got great titles or you uh, i got reasonably good on the first couple passes and then i would say um add more humor or add more of a dis take a more descriptive approach uh, so that the title is reflective or descriptive of the actual music. Uh, and then, then it, it would say, well, I can't do that without knowing the music. So I would describe the music as um, goofy, quirky, comedic music that might have a tuba or calliope in it. And, and the more I thought about, you know, garbage in, garbage out, the better my garbage in was the better the titles it spit back out to me. Yeah, that, that would make sense. So, but, but, and I'm, I'm more familiar actually with the creation of the art, like that Dali or Dali-E or whatever mm -hmm. you call it. Um, 
just typing in because I've done this for clients or help them, you know, type in some description of some artwork you want. Boy, you know, it's pretty cool. But, yeah, but, but they'll give you 10 samples of things and maybe none of them work or whatever. But uh, it's just like it definitely comes up with, you know, with some interesting options. Yeah, the first thing I asked it to do was create a flying pig and taxi cab yellow with checkers on it. Yeah. And I got to say, the image that came out the other end, I almost wanted to make it our new logo. <laughs> it was really good. But then there was probably other other examples that were contained those elements, but looked like nothing you would have expected, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, well, this has been a great discussion. And I, I really I apologize that we don't stay in closer touch, but we have known each other for, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years at this point. And uh Always a pleasure to speak with you and, and just thanks. I mean, I know this could have been a billable hour for you. So thanks for doing it. And uh, again, to the viewers, drop your comments in the comment section and Ben and I will find one way or another to address the, the best questions that we find there. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben McLean. Thank you everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>